This morning, we are going to be in Galatians, which was one of the first of Paul's letters that he wrote. And we're taking a little bit of a a rabbit trail, a little break from our journey through Acts. We've been walking through Acts the last several months, and we have reached the middle point of Acts, which is Acts 15. And in Acts 15, uh, we covered most of the chapter last week, and if you'll remember... Uh, with me in Acts 15, this incredibly pivotal moment in early church history uh, happens, and that's where um, they have the Jerusalem Council to address the issue of circumcision and whether or not uh, Gentiles who are becoming Christ followers should be required to be circumcised before they can follow Jesus. And this was a big, big question for the early church, because as long as anyone could remember in Jewish history, all the, back, all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish story with the call of Abraham, God had, had marked his family, his covenantal family, um, the, the people of Israel, with this sign of the covenant, and it was circumcision. So there was some confusion um, now that the Gentiles uh, were being included in the church, should they also be circumcised. And so if you remember with me, is the Prezi working? No problem. If not, I just want to check. Um, if, uh, so if you'll remember with me that in, um, in Acts 15, what happens is Paul and Barnabas uh, travel down from Antioch to Jerusalem, and they come before Peter and James and John and the other pillars of of the Jerusalem church to bring this question. And after hearing stories and after spending time in prayer and listening to the word of God, they ultimately come up with the decision that no, the Gentile Christians who are coming into the family will not be required to be circumcised. And this was was a a major, major decision. And so then from that point, uh, James uh, composes a letter And the early church fathers composed a letter to be sent out with Barnabas and Paul to all the churches. And essentially it says, you don't need to be circumcised to follow Jesus. um, But we would ask that you not eat food uh, dedicated uh, to idols or with the the blood in it. Which will actually come up again later um, in in Paul's writings. And they also ask that the people would remain sexually uh, pure. So those are the requirements So this morning I wanted to take a break to look at Galatians because in the book of Galatians, what Paul is doing is he's addressing this very question, uh, the question of circumcision and the question of what does it mean to be a follower of of Jesus and what are the requirements. So if you remember the uh, first missionary journey of Paul, They went from Antioch, and I'm going to ask you to picture the geography in your mind um, until uh, until we can get the map, but we'll keep flowing here. So picture the geography in your mind. So you have Israel uh, that's over here, the Mediterranean Sea, tracking with me, all right? And then in Syria is Antioch, the the Church of Antioch, and then up here in Asia Minor where Turkey is, modern-day Turkey, is, is the region of Galatia. And that's where Paul went on his first missionary journey. He traveled uh, to these different cities and planted churches with Barnabas. And then they went back down to Antioch to the place they started with. And when they got in Antioch, when they returned and they were done with their missionary journey, something happened. And we don't know exactly what happened except uh, some bare details. And the details are this. Some people 
some Jewish Christians called Judaizers. Everybody say Judaizers. Some, some Jewish Christians uh, called Judaizers. They claimed they came from the Apostle James, who was the recognized leader of the Jerusalem church. And um, they claimed that they were sent by James. And they went to all of these churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted. And they went around to these churches saying, if in, in order for you to be saved, and they use the word for salvation, in order for you to be saved, you must be circumcised and follow the law. So they're coming up behind Paul and Barnabas and, and canceling out all of this gospel message that they just gave because Paul and Barnabas had going to these churches and saying their salvation comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And the mark of that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the covenant sign of relationship with God. And they'd been going to all of these churches preaching this. And then these other guys show up and they also start questioning Paul's authority. And they start saying things like this. Paul wasn't one of the disciples. You know that, right? Paul, Paul wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. In fact, Paul was trying to kill us. Paul was throwing us in jail. Paul was the enemy of, of the church. And so they're not only planting these seeds of, of salvation comes through or works practices of following the law, but they're also planting these seeds of kind of undercutting Paul's authority, his apostolic authority. And so um, Paul is going to address that in the letter to the Galatians. And so my plan uh, this morning, and I, I might have to adjust it a little bit because I had a bunch of information on the Prezi, and I'm sorry if, it, if it's not on there this morning, but my plan this morning is to walk through the entire book of Galatians this morning and then focusing on chapter 5. And I'm going to teach this morning a little bit like it's an undergrad class a New, a New Testament survey, undergrad class, and this week's focus is on Galatians. So I'm going to ask you to stretch a little bit this morning. I'm going to ask you to use your minds. I'm going to ask you to think and take in a bunch of information. Does that make sense? All right, so before we, we shift, before we uh, engage the text in Galatians this morning, I just want to invite us to quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to speak through his word. Father, I thank you for this letter that has been preserved. Uh, scholars <laughs> across the spectrum, this is, of all the, the epistles, this is the one that is most agreed upon that Paul for sure wrote this. Of, of all the, the Pauline uh, letters in the New Testament, this is the one that every single scholar, no matter <laughs> whether they're extremely progressive and don't believe that the word of God is, is inspired or they're very conservative and across the spectrum, uh, basically everyone believes that, okay, Paul actually for sure wrote this. Um, and this is one of his earliest letters in his ministry. Um, and so as, as we engage this text this morning, I believe God, I'm convicted in my heart that, that this word has authority, um, not just for that day, but for this day. And even though culture and times have changed. There's things for us to learn um, through this word this morning. So we pray for those things uh, that we would be able to, to glean them for our specific context this morning. And I'm asking the church, I'm asking the people of God uh, to, to reach high this morning, to stretch out and, and take in a lot of concepts and a lot of teaching in a short amount of time. 
but uh, I just invite your spirit, God, to be the one who's actually teaching each of us, including myself this morning. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dan and Seth. Appreciate that. All right. That's the map I was asking you to picture. Those are the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted in. Um, That's about the Jerusalem Council. This is what happened after Paul and Barnabas completed their first missionary journey. A group of Christians came in and countered their message. This is the outline of Galatians. Galatians is six chapters in our English translations. Of course, when Paul wrote the letter, he didn't put in chapters or verses. He just wrote a letter. When you write a letter, do you ever put verses or chapters in your letters to people? Of course not. You just write a letter. This is Paul's letter, but it's broken up in our translations into chapters, six chapters. Um, And the six chapters can be broken up into three basic groupings. The first section is chapters one and two. And in it, Paul teaches that the gospel centers on the crucified and resurrected Messiah. And then Paul includes his testimony, his early Christian faith, and his commissioning by God as an apostle. Because part of this letter's purpose is to defend the fact that I am a legitimate apostle sent by God. And so the message that I gave uh, came from the Lord. Chapters 3 and 4, the second section, are about uh, the theme of God creating a new multi-ethnic family. The people of God are no longer just confined to the Jewish people, that, that one ethnic group. And if you, if you wanted to be a part of God's covenant in the old co- under the old covenant, you had to become part of the actual family, the nation of Israel. But not so, Paul argues. Because Christ came and has died for all the world, and because the gospel is going out and the Spirit of God is sending it out, God has actually created a new multi-ethnic family. And yes, the Jews, uh, the, the nation of Israel, are very much a part of that. God loves his people and he loves their story. But now he's taken that story and he's expanded it so that all people from all nations and all languages and all tongues and all cultures and all skin colors and all, uh, all people of every kind are included in this. And this is where we see Paul's amazing uh, passage where he says there in Christ there is neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor servant, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And then the final section, chapters 5 and 6, Paul says this family, this new multi-ethnic family created by God to be a covenant expression of his love to people is empowered and enabled to live righteously with God, not because of the law or because of circumcision, but because of the Holy Spirit. How the people of God used to live Um, In the time of Israel, in that covenant was by the law, but not so as God has opened it up through Jesus Christ. Now people don't live according to the law, rather we live according to the spirit of God. So that's the basic outline of Galatians. And it starts with this, that this is the actual gospel message, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. So it's capturing the Hebrew concept of Messiah. So every time Paul says Christ, he's saying Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is the gospel message. Galatians chapter 1. This is how Paul starts his letter. He says, Paul, an apostle. I'm not an apostle from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here where Paul expresses 
the gospel message to them that he taught them at the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom the glory be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on then in Galatians 1 to say, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, I love, I love this expression, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you at the beginning, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel different than that one he just wrote at the beginning, Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead to deliver us into right relationship with God. If anyone preaches another gospel than that, Paul is saying, let them be cursed. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I was trying to make people happy, Paul says, I wouldn't be serving Christ. Then Paul tells his testimony through the rest of the chapter. And I gave you the assignment last week to read Galatians this week. I hope you did. So I hope you're primed and ready to go this morning. If you didn't, then go ahead and read it this week. And you can go back over the stuff I'm skimming over. But Paul tells his testimony. He talks about how he came to Christ. He says, Christ appeared to me. I'm, of course, paraphrasing here. He said, Christ appears to me. He called me out of my former life of zealous law. This is Paul's favorite description of himself is the word zealous. Paul loves using that word to describe himself. I'm zealous. He was zealous for the law. Now he's zealous for Christ. And sending me to the Gentiles, the pillars, that's James, uh, the brother of Jesus, and John, the disciple, and Peter, the disciple. Those are the three pillars of the church in Jerusalem. The pillars of the faith are in agreement and my message, and my apostleship. So in other words, Paul is saying, when Barnabas and I came, and we preached the gospel, and we planted the churches here, that that was a legitimate message that had the endorsement not only of these men, and then Paul says, I don't actually care what they think about me, but more importantly than them, it had the endorsement, and the calling, and the apostleship, and the mark of God himself, who called me and set me apart from the womb to do this very work. He then goes on to Galatians chapter 2 from his testimony, and then he says this. And we looked at this last week, and this is sort of where the controversy with the circumcision kind of boiled to a head. He says, but when Cephas, that's one of Peter's names, when Peter came to Antioch, that's their home-sending church for Barnabas and Paul. This is the church that sent them on their missionary work. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Oh, man, he just opposed the leading disciple to his face. Peter was always the spokesperson for the 12, uh, 12 apostles. He's the one that Jesus says, upon this rock I shall build my church. But Paul confronts him to his face. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For bes- before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, these are the Judaizers, the ones who say that you have to have circumcision to be saved. When they came, Peter drew back and separated himself. Fearing the circumcision party. So he stopped eating with the Gentiles who weren't circumcised, but were Christians, were Christ followers. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Where Peter goes, so goes the rest of the Jewish believers. They follow him. He's their leader. They were deceived along with the rest of them so that even, and this is where 
Paul's heart is just breaking. Even Barnabas, even Barnabas, the man who God had called and set apart to work with Paul in his missionary journey, that first journey, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Barnabas, who had planted the churches in Galatia, who had helped, who had helped strengthen the church in Antioch, Barnabas is deceived by this teaching and he pulls back and he stops fellowshipping fully with the Gentile believers. Paul's heart is just breaking over this. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And this exact same circumstance that happened here in the church of Antioch has been happening in the churches of Galatia. Some of the same people, apparently, have been traveling with the same message from from claiming to be from James, saying that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And then Paul goes on to say this, and this is one of my absolute favorite, favorite, most instrumental verses in the entire uh, scriptures in my life. He says this in chapter 2, that we are not justified or declared righteous by birth or by works of the law, We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is where Galatians 2.20, and perhaps uh, you've heard this verse before. I have been crucified with Christ. I know I who live, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is is one of those precious verses that, that I want to characterize every day of my life. This is, when I think about my relationship with Jesus Christ, I think about it almost primarily through this lens, that it's no longer my life. If you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, it's no longer your life. You don't actually have ownership of it. You have a master. You have a king. You have a father. You have a God. And when Jesus was crucified, when you came into relationship with him, you too were crucified with Jesus Christ. And when God raised him from the dead, God raised you from the dead along with him. And so your life that you're living today, not just your future life in heaven, your life today belongs to Jesus Christ, which means that he gets to dictate how we live, which is how the whole rest of the book is going to be about. God is the one who gets to tell us how to live. No longer the law, no longer man, but God, specifically the Spirit of God dwelling in us. He says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians, the whole point of the gospel message is this, not that you would work to be approved by God, not that you would follow a set of regulations to be approved by God, not that you would do certain things, but rather you are already approved by God just by being in right relationship with Jesus Christ. And by being in right relationship with Jesus Christ, then you walk out a life of obedience, a life that fulfills the law anyways, which Paul will get to later in Galatians. Don't go back, he says. Oh, foolish Galatians. This is a literal translation. You fools, Paul says. You foolish people, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It it literally means who cast a spell on you? You're believing a false spirit. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is an important question. When God's Spirit filled you, 
Did it fill you because you were obeying specific laws? Or did it fill you because you were in relationship with Jesus Christ? Here it's uh, a question that all of us should know, right? (laughs) God fills us with his spirit because of relationship with his son. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word pistis. I've been talking about this word, pistis. The Greek word for faith is pistis. And it doesn't mean believing something that you can't see, which is what we think of when we talk about faith in English. The word pistis in Greek means allegiance and loyalty of the heart, which includes belief, but also includes our will and how we walk out our life. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles, verse 5, among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That allegiance, that steadfastness. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, why then, he's going to answer the question, if, if we're not to live by the law anymore, what was the point of the law? Because that's confusing. And his answer is this, that the law was given only as a temporary guardian. It's a placeholder to hold uh, people to get them ready, to get, to get the world ready to receive Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, he says in verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. The law was the guardian. It was like a babysitter. It was like a a steward that was holding God's people until what? Until Christ came. So it's serving a purpose, but only until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need that to babysit us anymore. God has grown us up through his son to understand his ways with greater depths. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. As many of you as were baptized in Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, this gets us about halfway through Galatians. So to recap, so far, you hanging with me? How you doing? All right. All right. So far, he's addressing the deceit. You do not come into right relationship with God through works of the law or circumcision. The whole point of the law was to get us ready to receive right relationship with Jesus Christ. And no longer are we saved into a specific nation. Rather, salvation exists for all people because God is creating a new multi-ethnic family for all peoples of all languages in all places under the banner and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And this is where he says there is no longer in, in the kingdom of God, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And that leads us to chapter 4, which is a very interesting place. He says, I mean, he goes on to say this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, 
though he is the owner of everything. So he says, we used to be enslaved under the law because we, weren't actually, we didn't actually have authority. We didn't have dominion. We couldn't walk out the relationship with God in freedom. Even though we had all the inheritance of God, we were still no better than a servant in the sense that we couldn't access it. Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But, and this is where we find ourselves in Galatians, he's saying this is the, the time in history we find ourselves then, and it's certainly the time of, of history we continue to live in today. But, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, Paul says, he was watching all of world history, orchestrating it with his sovereignty, bringing things uh, to, to a head to be ready to receive his son at just the right time. When the fullness of time had come, verse 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus is actually born at that moment in history where the law is still in place. Jesus, born under the law. Isn't that interesting to think of God's son as born under the law? But why? Verse 5 to actually redeem those who were under the law. So he came in under the law to redeem those who were under it. Jesus is incarnate. He is the word made flesh. He is God, man. He became like that, those he was coming to save and redeem. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, this is us, church, This is us today as well as the Galatians then so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Oh, I pray that you would relate to God like this. Oh, I pray that you would know your Savior like this. That within your very heart, your soul of souls, that the Spirit of God could stir within you, that you would know God so intimately that you could call him Dad. If that's uncomfortable for you to call God Dad, to be that familiar with him, I would ask you and invite you to wrestle with that. Why? Why can you not call God dad? What is keeping you from knowing him with that kind of intimacy and nearness? Because this is his word. And this is what the word of God says. That the spirit of God within us teaches us to say this. Abba, Father. And Abba, of course, it doesn't quite mean daddy, but it's close to that. It's like dad. It's like me talking to my dad. I wouldn't say, Father, how was your trip? I would say, Dad, how are you doing? In the same way, we're to talk to God with that intimacy and that nearness. You are no longer a slave, so don't talk to God like a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir through God. He says in Ephesians 1, Paul says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the Lord Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are an heir to Christ. Every blessing in the heavenly places. Christ has set us free. He goes on to say, and again I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing so we can work through the whole book in snapshots. This isn't a freedom to do whatever we want. So God has not 
freed us from slavery to the law or sin so that we can just do what we want. That's still slavery. That isn't freedom to do whatever we want. The kind of life, that kind of life is not actually free. Rather, it is freedom from the flesh and freedom to live by the Spirit. And this is the whole point of the gospel. The Messiah has ushered in a new kingdom, a new way to be human. So in our, in our culture, what freedom means is that you get to do what you want and I get to do what I want. You get to live your life like you like to live your life. I get to live my life like I live my life. And you better not judge me. You had better not judge me. No matter what my preferences are, no matter what, uh, what lifestyle I choose, um, that is the number one thing sociologically and culturally speaking that people are screaming out towards one another nonstop. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Be happy. Do whatever makes you happy. Be free. Do this. Go there. No one can tell you how to live your life. Live your life your own way. That is not freedom. That is slavery. That is slavery to the flesh and the spirits and the demons and the principalities of this age. Here's the truth in Christ. You don't actually get to do whatever you want. I'm sorry, but you don't. Here's the truth in Christ. You don't actually belong to you. You belong to someone else, just like a marriage covenant. You don't get to go sleep around with whoever you want to sleep around with and spend your money wherever you want to spend your money or your time. And I'm not saying this from a religious heavy standpoint. I'm saying this, that's not actually freedom. What freedom is, is freedom to live in constant intimacy and obedience with Jesus. That's what freedom is. What actual freedom is, is the ability and the freedom to live in constant intimacy and obedience to Jesus Christ. And this brings us to the text that we are going to zero in on, focus in on for the rest of our time. Galatians chapter 5, this beautiful, beautiful chapter. He says, having built this whole platform up to this point, Paul writes, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's not freedom. Don't be yoked to the world. Don't be yoked to the law. Be yoked to Jesus Christ. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So if you're going to require circumcision, then you have to follow every single law. You are severed from Christ. All right, this is a little bit graphic, but Paul is very graphic in this letter. And he uses several graphic images that are nice pure English translations take the edge off of, quite literally. He's saying, <laughs> if, if you are going to require circumcision, which we all know what circumcision is, right? I don't need to explain that to you. Then he's taking that same concept, and he's saying, you have been circumcised off of your relationship with Christ. You've been cut off of the body of Christ. If you accept circumcision, verse 3, you're obligated to keep the whole law, you are severed. You are cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. Look at this last verse. Is it cut off? No, it's there. Great. 
No, it is cut off. All right, verse 6. For if, I'm going to read it out loud, and I'm going to cut the middle point out, which is just like a, a, it's like a side thought. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, if you shorten that and condense it to just a positive statement, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is love that's worked out through faith. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts... This is the only thing that counts, according to the Apostle Paul. If you don't like it, take it up with him. For in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts for anything is faith, pistis, steadfast loyalty and allegiance towards God, working itself out through love. That's the only thing that counts, which is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if you conquer the entire world, but you don't have love, you have nothing. Man, we're seeing that in the evangelical church world right now, are we not? Think about some of how the mighty have fallen. Some of our leaders that we've looked to. I'll pick on Bill Hybels just for a moment. I'm sure some of you know him, but that man who's been a leadership guru that thousands and thousands of people across the world have looked to for direction and strategies for church growth and all of this. And his whole ministry, the whole time, there was this stuff happening behind the scenes that was inappropriate and broken and sinful. And down comes the structure crumbling in on itself. If you have the world, but you do not have love, you have nothing. Nothing. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Verse 7, you were running so well, he says. What hindered you from obeying the truth? You were going in the right direction. What tripped you up? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Most uh, scholars believe that what he's saying is that it's just a couple of people that came with this false message. And yet all of you, this big group, is believing a false message. A little leaven leavens the whole thing. It's all confused now. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you, again, this is a graphic image. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That phrase is not circumcise themselves. It's gone. I wish that they would take a knife and gone. This is Paul writing this. Verse 13. This is Holy Scripture. Isn't this interesting? Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, your freedom is not so that you can do whatever you want. But through love, serve one another. For the whole point of the law is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you walk out this relationship with Jesus Christ in the way that he's designed it to, don't worry about the law because you'll fulfill it anyways because the whole point of the law, circumcision, dietary, and everything else was this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you're really worried about fulfilling the law, love your neighbor as you love yourself, then follow Jesus because in following Jesus and walking in obedience with him, you'll fulfill that without even worrying about it. Does that make sense? That was a lot of this. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Oh, man. 
That's killed so many local churches, has it not? Biting and devouring one another over just nitpicky, silly, stupid things. Piano can't go over there. It belongs here. We can't sing those songs. We've always sang these songs. Don't bite and devour each other. This is God's church. Be free. Love one another. It's the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that matters. In PFC 101 this morning, we were talking about this for a moment. Really, if there is one thing I hate in the local church, it's passive-aggressive behavior. If there is one thing that will tear down a family and rip it to shreds, it is people being passive-aggressive with one another. Watch out that you don't bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is like Romans 6 and 7 when Paul's talking about like the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do, I do. He's talking about the same tension here. The the desires of the flesh and spirit are opposed to one another. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious, he says. These are the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, and boy, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And each and every one of us have struggled with (laughs) each and every one of us in the flesh has desired all of these things. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he's circling back to this. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Can we just say verse 25? Can we read it out loud together? Would you read that with me? Can you see it? All right, let's read that out loud together, church. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Become conceited. Yeah, let's not become conceited. (laughs) Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. With the Spirit. In other words, if you're going to claim that you are part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, then live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Or if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then in Galatians 6 is the conclusion. Some of it's just uh, greetings and 
and salutations and that sort of thing. But he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each of us test his own works and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And that, my friends, was a lightning quick walk through the entire book of Galatians. Well done. Give yourselves a hand. Nice job. All right. This verse here, it's up there. If we live by the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit. This is, I I believe, the application that God has for us uh, this morning as we engage the book of Galatians. Let's be people who live by the Spirit of God and bear fruit in keeping with the Spirit of God. Amen? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is our calling. Let us not devour one another or bite at one another's heels, but let us love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Man, we can disagree about all kinds of stuff, but if we have Christ in the center, we are good. We can disagree about the rapture and about what heaven's going to be like and all all these secondary things. But if Christ crucified, resurrected, and reigning eternally is at the center, then we can walk, lock, step, hand in hand, strong and immovable as the family of God. Let's be that kind of people. Praise team, you can come forward. We're going to end our time uh, with praise. And uh, I just want to invite you to stand I'm going to pray, and let's uh, sing with all of our hearts. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. I love the book of Galatians. It was so much fun studying it this week, just personally. I was so blessed, God, by your word. And just by taking, uh, you know, when we read our devotions, we often like read one chapter at a time and and we miss the eagle eye view of like, okay, this is what the whole thing is saying. And so from time to time, it's really important to step back and climb a mountain and look down and survey the land and see the whole thing. And so, God, I pray that the people of God here today would be empowered to engage this scripture with a greater understanding of what the whole thing is saying. And so when in their devotions, when in their personal lives, when we're reading it, Um, as your word to apply it to our lives when we're studying this and we're we're zeroing down on verses and chapters that we'd have the big picture in mind to have a greater understanding of what your word is saying to us. And Father, most of all, I just want to ask that we would be a people that live by the spirit of God and bear fruit in keeping with your spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you and we can't wait to sing to you right now. We can't wait to bring your spirit and your word out with us as we go. And so we're going to sing in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.